I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're in our final uh, sermon. We're in our final sermon on our, our series entitled Foundations and Pillars. And this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at um, what the ministry of the church actually is. What is, what is the aim of the ministry of the church? And um, if you look over here to my right, your left, we have this slogan that we talk about a lot in our church. And, and really, the reason why we go through a, a series called Foundations and Pillars is because we, we want to know that it is, it is foundational. We need to understand that the gospel is the foundation of the church, but also the gospel is also the formation of what, how we do ministry. And Redeemer Church exists to pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people through worship, fellowship, discipleship, and mission. And so we have, um, we have worked through our, what we consider our four pillars uh, the last few weeks. And today we're going to be landing on, why does the church exist? Why does the church exist? And what we want to say to you today is that Scripture is going to teach us that the church exists to pursue the glory of God and joy of all people. Uh, this is fundamental not only for our church and formational not only for our church, but also the universal church. And so we are excited to, to preach this text this morning, and we are excited to, to be able to, um, uh, to, to work through this text with you. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, passage of Scripture. And one of the reasons why I, I love this, uh, this book so much and chapter 4 so much is because we see the heart of the Apostle Paul. We, we see his passion for ministry. We, we, see, we see his, uh, his ups and downs of life. We see his difficulties. We see uh, even how um, unrewarding his ministry in life uh, as the world would see it uh, truly is. And so uh, what, we, what we want to do is be able to uh, work through this passage as we see the heart of Paul. Um, and may we be encouraged by this, the preaching of his word. Uh, I pray that the, the church today, we would see the glory of God, we would see the beauty of Christ, and it would move us to be, uh, to be uh, encouraged. And really the ministry of the word this morning um, my prayer is that each one of you would be encouraged to persevere in the faith, that we would come alongside of you uh, through the preaching of the Word, and that we would give you uh, the gusto, uh, the, the, the compelling uh, beauty of Christ and the message of Christ to spur you on uh, to, uh, to the ministry of the gospel. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 together. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 together this morning. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanding ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture where we see, we see the heart of the Apostle Paul. Uh, we see, we see um, um, his, his longing for the church to not be discouraged by the nature of suffering and persecution. And, you know, uh, what our intentions are today is there is a lot to this text. And what we want to do is we want to kind of take a, like a 30,000 foot view of what gospel ministry in the local church should look like. And then we're going to come down and we are going to, to land um, in a beautiful, beautiful picture of what the purpose of the church truly is. This is a fundamental pillar for us and the church. So let us dive into this glorious passage. First, I want you to see the power of gospel ministry. The power of gospel ministry. In verse 1 through 6, what we see is the fact that we, as the church, have a glorious ministry. We have a glorious ministry. Look at verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And when Paul considered, when Paul considered um, the, the, the fact that he was a minister of the new covenant, if we go back to chapter 3, we can kind of see how, where Paul is getting to. He's a, he's a minister of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. He's a minister of... Uh, uh, now, 
He's a minister of, of life. And when he considers that he's a minister of the covenant, he was overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, that he was encouraged to not lose heart. And I think it's good for us to, to see this, is that when, when Paul is encouraging the church not to lose heart, what he is indeed saying is to himself that sometimes I lose heart. He's telling the church not to lose heart. He tells them in verse 1, he tells them in verse 16. But what he's actually saying here is, you know, there are times when I lose heart. There are times when I find missionary work, when I find gospel work to be extremely difficult. When I, when I find that. And, and when we look at the aim of the ministry of church and the ministry we desire to give you even today, Paul would say, don't lose heart. When we look at the ministry of the new covenant, the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should be like Paul. And we should not lose heart. Let's be overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God because we have a glorious ministry. When Paul considered the powerful truth uh, that, that God, through Christ, has eradicated darkness in the life of the believer, Paul was encouraged not to lose heart. This is the, the gospel let light shine out of the darkness. It has shone into our hearts. It has given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It has eradicated the darkness of sin in the hearts of the church. And Paul is encouraged not to lose heart. And then when Paul considered the powerful message, the powerful message that the church proclaimed was about something bigger than himself. We proclaim what we proclaim is not what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as servants for Jesus sake. When he thinks about that and considers that, that he is preaching and teaching and ministering for something bigger than himself, he is encouraged not to lose heart. And this morning, what I want us to see is that the, I want to see the powerful the power of gospel ministry with the truth that we have a glorious ministry. Ministry, church, you and I, not just some super apostle here. This is the ministry of the church. You and I have a glorious ministry because it is a ministry that brings life. It's a ministry that brings salvation. It's a ministry that brings righteousness. It's a ministry that transforms lives. It's a ministry that is from the mercy of God. It is a gift of God. It's a ministry that preaches and teaches and serves all for the sake of Christ. We have a glorious ministry. And the key truth that we need to come away with this point this morning is that the way that you and I look at ministry helps to determine how you and I fulfill it. The way that we look at ministry helps us to determine how we fulfill it. If you do not realize that you are an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the good news of salvation through the faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you do not realize that you're an ambassador, if you do not realize you're a messenger of reconciliation, then you will never be able to fulfill the aim of the ministry of the church. You'll never be able to fill it. You won't see that it's glorious. Husband, is it glorious to love your wife as Christ loved the church? 
Father, it is glorious to wake up early in the morning and to pray for your children. It is glorious to stand at the front door and greet one another with brotherly love as we enter into this courts with thanksgiving and praise. It is a glorious ministry because it is a ministry that transforms lives. It is good and glorious for you and I to speak truth in love. We have a glorious ministry. It is not a minuscule ministry. It is some not some minute thing that we can put in a corner. We have a glorious ministry. We have a purposeful ministry. And the way that you and I will look at it will determine how you fulfill it. If you don't see the glory of the gospel, and you don't see the glory of what Christ has called us to, then you'll never be able to get past. You'll never be able to catch a vision for the glory of God and the joy of all people. You'll never want to die to yourself in order to live for Christ. You will constantly be tossed to and fro with the things of this world. When suffering comes, when trials come, you will not be able to persevere because you have not believed that this ministry is glorious. But not only do we have a glorious ministry, we also have a prevailing ministry. If we look at um, verse... Seven. We look at verse, um, really verse probably uh, two all the way through twelve. We see this prevailing ministry that is happening in the life of the church and the life of the believer. And, and Paul gives us this beautiful picture of what you and I truly are. He says we are jars of clay. We're jars of clay. So so Paul is proclaiming the power of the gospel ministry in the life of the church. It is is extremely glorious. It is extremely beautiful. But he also is describing in the same token the weakness of the gospel messenger and the prevailing power of God's presence working in and through our lives. We are just jars of clay. What is a jar of clay? It is a frail, fragile, often easily broken vessel. But the beautiful picture here is that in ministry, this is the power of ministry, in ministry, God takes this fragile, frail, broken vessel, delicate vessel, and He puts His presence in there. He puts the treasure in there. And He says, you know what? I'm going to use this jar of clay for my glory and the advancement of my kingdom. The Gospel has come not as a result of of mankind. It's not a result of our imaginations. It has come from the God who said, let there be light. And this God, let there be out. He has come, this gospel has come from a, a sovereign God who made this world. And its message is about the glory in, that is shown in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this, again, we're taking a big picture view here, right? We're looking down at this. We look at this entire chapter, three times in this chapter, Paul reminds the church that uh, of a catechism that we are very familiar with, that the chief end of man is the glory of God. It's to glorify God. 
It's to bring God's glory. And what Paul is saying is this, but you, we have this treasure in jar of clay. There's a sense where Paul is teaching us that what ministry out is about is about God. And our ability to persevere is not a result of ourself, but of God. It's not about Paul. It's not about you and me. It is about the glory of God that shines in the face of Jesus Christ. He is reminding us to never to succumb to a worldly view of ministry that says it's all about me. But rather, we must view ministry as it being all about the glory of God. And one of the ways that we do not lose heart, which is the, the theme of really what he is trying to encourage the church, encourage you and I with, is to remind ourselves that this is God's work. We have a prevailing power in us that allows us to be ambassadors of Jesus. It allows us to persevere in suffering. It allows us to be to exalt him through trials. It allows us to do that. Why? This is God's work. It's not about me. This is not about Paul's glory. And it's not about the prestige of Redeemer Church. It is about the glory of God. This is his gospel. This is his work. This is his message. This is his doing. And it all is for the glory of his name. Throughout the letter, Paul uses different analogies. And I would just probably say it like this. He turns, he turns upside down our natural expectations of the way life works. Like he just flips, he flips the script. He flips the way that uh, it's really contrary to the way that our our um, our flesh and our human hearts naturally function. You see this all through his this letter to this church. God takes what is low, despised, and weak to accomplish His purpose. We're just clay pots. We're just jars of clay. 2 Corinthians tells us that comfort comes through affliction. That sufficiency comes through insufficiency. That life comes through death. That blessing through suffering. Salvation through grief. Abundance through poverty. Boasting through hardship. And then chapter 12, the end of the chapter, gives us this key principle. God's power is made perfect in weakness. He's flipped the script on us. And he's saying... You have a treasure in jars of clay. I'm just a broken vessel. And what I want us to land and be encouraged about is that you and I are in ourselves not able to accomplish the feat of glorifying God. But God has placed His Spirit within inside of us and we have a prevailing power, church. We have a glorious, glorious ministry, but we have a prevailing ministry. We're going to talk more about this as, as Paul works through this. Weakness is not good in itself, yet it is God's chosen means of displaying His grace, His glory, and His power. I can't make sense of it. I don't know it. But the Apostle Paul says, be encouraged by it. You have a prevailing power. So you may be here today this morning and you may be discouraged. You may be losing heart with a ministry. And I just want to let you know, be encouraged that this is a powerful ministry. It's a glorious ministry. It's a prevailing ministry. God's will will be accomplished. God's work, God's way for God's glory is happening. And we get to be a part of it. What a blessing 
to see. And if we see that, we will be encouraged by that. And I, like I said before, I love the Apostle Paul because in the original language, when he says don't lose heart, he's saying, Paul, don't lose heart. He's like, sometimes I lose heart. Man, what a glorious ministry I have. What a glorious ministry I have. Sometimes I lose heart. It's not about me. Thank the Lord. (laughs) It's not about me. It's about me proclaiming Jesus Christ. It's not about me at all. Paul moves from the powerful, the power of gospel ministry to the difficult, the difficulty of gospel ministry. The difficulty of gospel ministry. So we're taking this big view and then we're going to kind of kind of come down um, and, and, and get in the weeds of this text. Verses 8 through 12 really talks about, um, even on into 13 and 14, about the difficulty of gospel ministry. And if you know anything about Paul, you read later on in 2 Corinthians, he describes more in detail about his ministry. But ministry is hard. And, it, and if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've been ministering uh, for, for one day or, or, or 20 years, you can say amen to the difficulty of gospel ministry. But Paul wants us to move past just knowing that to believing that. We have a suffering ministry. It's glorious, it's prevailing, but it's suffering. Paul describes the affliction and the suffering that accompanies gospel ministry in verses 8 through 12. He says they were afflicted, they were perplexed, they were persecuted, they were struck down. But why were they suffering? Why were they suffering like this? God was prevailing in their suffering, but why were they suffering? And in verse 13 is where we land. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. I believe and so I spoke. In verse 13, picking right where he left off in this this theme of suffering, he quotes Psalm 116, which is a song of deliverance written by a psalmist who, who had been saved from what looked like certain death. And the psalmist wrote in verse 10 of 116, I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. So what we see here is is, is Paul quoting Psalm 116, and then we see a psalmist who draws a clear connection between believing and speaking. He believes, and so he speaks. He believes, and so he speaks. And then the psalmist then draws the connection between believing and speaking and suffering. He believes and so he speaks. And suffering and affliction cannot stop him from speaking what he believes. Like he continues on. And according to Paul, as we work through this, believing automatically leads to speaking. This attitude, this same spirit of faith, this attitude of I believe in Jesus Christ, therefore I am trusting in Him, I am believing in Him for all things, and so I am going to speak. So there's this thought here that Paul is saying that the the profession of faith automatically leads to the proclamation of faith. And the proclamation of faith 
leads to the persecution of faith. Now, we see the theme of suffering all throughout Scripture, and we're going to make note of that. But according to Paul, that when we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, those who believe the gospel of Jesus proclaim His gospel no matter the cost. I believe, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. They believed in Jesus. And because they believed in Jesus, they proclaimed Jesus. And because they proclaimed Jesus, they suffered much for Jesus. This is the message that Paul is sharing here. And so the question I have for us is like, we, we in the church of North America, we know very little about gospel suffering. Now we suffer. Ministry's hard. Ministry's difficult. But gospel suffering, if we go out into our homes and we proclaim Jesus Christ, we are not cut off from our family. There are instances within this, in our culture, that that does happen. If we go into our workplace and we share the gospel with our co-worker, they may be mad of us or our, co- our, our, our company may uh, establish some rule or procedure that we can't do that anymore, but we're not persecuted and suffer for our faith. Like the Zulu people in South Africa, if they believe fully in Jesus Christ, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and completely deny and turn away from ancestral worship means they are completely cut off and they have dishonored their family, their family's name, their ancestors, and they're cut off from their community, they're cut off from all resources, and they are left to find life for themselves. That's what, that is really suffering for the gospel. We can go through the Hindu or the Muslims and, and the uh, other unreached people groups throughout the world. It means a, a little bit different. And even in this context of 2 Corinthians, it means a little bit different, something different for the Apostle Paul. But the truth of the matter is that we need to ask ourselves this question. Do we really believe the good news of this, that a sovereign, holy, just, and gracious creator of all things has looked upon you and I, hopeless sin men and women, and in our rebellion sent His Son to bear the wrath on the cross against sin to show His power over sin and, and resurrection from the dead. Do we believe that? Do we believe that He is risen from the dead so that anyone who puts their faith in Him and turns from their sin, trusts in Him, repents, will be reconciled to God forever? Do we believe that, church? If you believe in the bodily, as verse 16 says, as Paul, the Apostle Paul states, if we believe in the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus, if you believe that He died on the cross for your sins, was buried three days, and rose from the dead, that His resurrection precedes our ultimate resurrection, that one day we will rise with Him, that, that we will pass from death unscathed to eternal life. If we really believe that, shouldn't we say something? Should we not say something? Should we not want to proclaim it? And that's the message that Apostle Paul is saying here. Listen, this is a difficult ministry. We have a suffering ministry because we have a speaking ministry. 
And when we speak about Jesus, we will be persecuted like Jesus. For the individual whose life has been radically changed by Jesus, it is perfectly natural for you to proclaim it. Like you want to. You want to. I think about Peter standing in front of the Sanhedrin, being being, uh, accused and asked to renounce the name of Jesus, said we cannot help but speak of what we've seen and we heard. They could not be quiet. We believe, therefore we speak. Why do we preach? Why do we evangelize? Why do we share the faith? Why do we do missions? It is because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is because we believe that God has called His church to the work of evangelism in the world, to the mission of God on earth, to the sharing of the good news of the gospel to all those who need to know it. If we believe these things, then how could we do anything else? We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you in His presence. Listen, we have a suffering ministry, but church, what Paul is telling us this morning is that we have a worth it ministry. (laughs) We have a worth it ministry. Paul is suffering, but he says, I know that, I know that He raised the Lord Jesus but I know that He will also raise me. How do we not lose heart with such opposition? And here is the promise that Paul gives us. God's grace strengthens us, helps us to not lose heart. Listen, no one has the desire to suffer. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to, I don't want to see anybody else suffer. No one desires to be persecuted. No one desires to find glory and being rejected by their family. We do ministry because Jesus is greater. Because Jesus is sweeter. Because Jesus is better. We have a worth it ministry. And if you look at Paul's progression of thought, in chapter 3, he speaks about the giving of the law that has nothing to compare with the glory that we already have in the gospel. And now, as we work through chapter 4, Paul is saying that this glory we have in the gospel, which is like a treasure of immense worth in a clay pot, is worth nothing compared to the glory that has yet to be revealed. God is using the suffering in Paul's life to make him more like Jesus, and it's worth it. What does he say? This outer self is wasting away, but my inner self is being renewed day by day. He is being renewed day by day. And this is so important because what I want you to see is is that it's not despite Paul's present circumstances that he's experiencing gospel transformation, but it's because of his present circumstances. This is important for you and I to see. It's not despite it, It's because of it. The persecution that he's facing, it is changing him. It is transforming him. It is making him more like Jesus. He is being persecuted for preaching the good news of the gospel. He knows that, but he's confident that these trials themselves are being flipped. They're being turned. 
Right? They've been turned around. They've been turned upside down by God into the instruments of His sanctifying work in His life. God is refining Paul. God is growing Paul. God is changing Paul. God is making him more like the man that he needs to become. He's more humble. He's more loving. He's more forgiving of his enemies. He's more like Jesus. And this is exactly what God is doing in you and me. He is making us more like Christ. And what we really need, church, is not for our circumstance to change. And I know that's very difficult. We need to grow. We need to press into this, okay? What you and I need is not for our circumstances to change. We need our perspective to change. It's hard. It's easier to say than do. What we really need is for our perspective to change that's to see that no matter what is happening to us, that we have a loving heavenly Father who means only good for His children and who will only give them good gifts. And this is His plan for you. This is His story for you. That whatever you're going through right now, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard, no matter how hard it is to even trust in Jesus this morning and trust in His prevailing power in your life, God is saying to you that He is renewing you. Day by day. He is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is making you more like the person you need to be in Christ. What the enemy meant for evil... God is turning for our good. Suffering, persecution, trials, difficulties, they all serve the purposes of God. He is sovereign over them and He is sovereign in them. Gospel ministry is difficult, but it is worth it because we are more like Jesus and one day we will finally be with Him. So we see the power of gospel ministry, the difficulty of gospel ministry, and finally, the reward of gospel ministry. Verse 15 says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Church, what I want you to see this morning is, is you have a grace-driven ministry. It is a grace-driven ministry. For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people. And I love the dual aim here. I love the dual aim that Paul has in ministry. It, it is, it is, um, this is one of the verses that formed the, the mission statement of the church, the purpose statement of Redeemer Church. This is one of the verses that informed that. 
And it's a dual aim that Paul has in ministry. Verse 15 single-handedly sums up the purpose of Christian ministry. He starts by saying, for it is all for your sake. All my preaching, all my teaching, all my suffering, all my persecution, it is all worth it so that more and more of you, more and more people, more and more of all the people groups in the world may experience the grace of God. Paul is saying to these believers and to himself, you knowing the surpassing worth of the grace of Christ motivates me to not lose heart. This is the reward of gospel ministry. And this is what I want for my life. And this is what I want for your life. This is what I want for the ministry of this church and, and, and Redeemer Church and the partnerships that together we have with other churches and other missionaries to be about. Don't we want to extend the grace of God to more and more people for their sake so that more and more women, men, boys, and girls might know the resurrected Christ, be saved from their sins, brought from darkness to light, and delivered from an everlasting condemnation away from God to experiencing everlasting communion with God forevermore? This is what we want. This is our purpose. And it is filled and fueled and driven by grace. We want people to experience it. This is what we live for. And I love this dual aim. Look here. Verse 15. For it is all for your sake. It's all for your sake. That grace extends to more and more people. And more and more people give thanksgiving to God. It's all for their sake. We want more and more people to experience what you and I have experienced. We understand that we got a glorious ministry. We get to bring life. We get to bring salvation. We get to bring uh, uh, righteousness. We begin to uh, get to bring uh, transformation to people's lives. Like it, it is, it is, it is glorious in nature. It is filled with grace. We get to bring the truth that there is a gift from God. To all those who would believe. And that gift is God Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. But that's not all. We don't just have a grace-driven ministry. We also have a purposeful, purposeful ministry. The purpose of Christian missions is far greater, far greater than even the salvation of souls for eternity. I know it's hard for us to believe. It's far greater than that. Listen to Paul. For it is for your sake that more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The second goal, the higher aim, the ultimate purpose of missions is the glory of God. Why do we do ministry? It is for the sake of the glory of God. But it more specifically, it is thanksgiving and gratitude to the glory of God. It is that joy. We do ministry. We do missions. We sacrifice and we suffer. And we do it for the glory of God and the joy of all people. We do it because when we do, 
die to ourselves and we follow hard after Christ, what we're able to do, we're able to experience that renewing of that grace and mercy and salvation of God over and over. And from that springs a well of thanksgiving in our hearts and lives. And then as we bring and extend grace to more and more people, they become to know Jesus Christ and they too find joy in life and they praise God even more. This is why the psalmist says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let all the peoples praise you. This is why the cry from heaven was, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It is the cry of the apostle Paul himself in Romans 15, where he says his ambition was to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named so that those who had never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. They will know, they will worship, they will give thanks to God. This is what drives ministry. This is what drives missions. And the the truth of the matter is, is that we must sacrifice our lives and we must seek to shepherd the hearts of each other in this church in order to take the gospel message, to extend the grace of the gospel message to the to the world, because we are for we are absolutely convinced that God deserves every person's praise. This is why we do it. That we believe that we are completely convinced that God deserves every person's praise. That the glory of God is not only the chief aim of our lives, but it is the chief aim of the ministry of the church. So when we put verse 15 together, what we see, this is the purpose. For their sake and for God's sake. For their sake, salvation. For His sake, glory. Salvation for the sake of others among more and more people all leading to glory for God's sake among more and more people. Aren't you looking forward to Revelation 9, 10? We're looking forward to that day when a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tongue, and tribe and language gathers around the throne and the Lamb and cries out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Listen, we have a purposeful ministry church and our purpose is so great it is so joyful it is the glory of God and the joy of all people and finally church we have a hope filled ministry we have a hope filled ministry this is a great reward ministry and missions will never be easy because we are not fighting against flesh and blood but we are fighting against powers and darkness. Darkness is pushing back. It fights us at every turn. It should not surprise us. Jesus promised us. We follow a a Savior who sends out His disciples like sheep among wolves. So what we need to know is that suffering is unavoidable for the Christian. Suffering for the gospel accompanies the spread of the gospel. So we don't lose heart. Though afflicted, though crushed, though perplexed, persecuted, struck down, being given over to death, we do not lose heart. Why? Because it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
Suffering is unavoidable, but God's purpose is unstoppable. God's purpose in our lives is unstoppable. All of these sufferings are attended by God, intended by God for my good. As he says in, in, in Romans 8, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with a glory that is to be real, revealed to us. And we know that for those who love God, all things together work together for their good and for those who are calling to His purpose. Or in Romans 5, 3 and 5, Paul says, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering may be unavoidable, but God's purpose is unstoppable and He's working all this for your good, <laughs> for your joy in our lives, and ultimately for the glory of His name. So don't lose heart, brothers and sisters. Satan's strategy strategizes to stop the church will ultimately serve to spread it. <laughs> Satan's strategy to inflict pain in our life will ultimately serve to increase eternal glory with your God. Our suffering is unavoidable. God's purposes are unstoppable. And our hope is incomparable. Paul says, compared to the coming glory, our suffering is light. It is momentary. It doesn't mean that it isn't painful, that, it isn't, that it's easy. But in light of eternity, our present suffering does not compare with a future weight of glory. We must believe this, church. This is the reward of gospel ministry. The suffering and the evil that you and I experience, it presses us deeper and deeper into an, uh, into an eternal weight of glory beyond all that we can compare. God doesn't cancel our suffering. He uses our suffering to serve His purposes in bringing greater glory to Himself and greater joy. To all people. I am thankful for the sufferings of Paul. I'm thankful for the suffering of the first century church. I am thankful for the suffering of Martin Luther. I'm thankful for the suffering of every single born again believer in this place this morning. Because that, God is using you just as He used them to bring glory to Himself and joy to all people. I want to close with this. Doesn't the cross of Christ prove this? Here, the Lord and Creator of the universe the only one not deserving to die, dies a sinner's death. The greatest evil of history is slaying the only innocent man in history. But once again, look how God flips the script. The greatest evil in history becomes the center of history and the means to which God accomplishes His plan and His purpose 
to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Jesus faced the greatest evil so that you and I wouldn't have to. He traded His eternal weight of glory to be crushed under eternal weight of sin of this world. And He did all of this so that He could graciously give you Himself and we could share in His glory. And so that's the reason why Paul in chapter 3 verse 12 says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. Believing in the Gospel, church, Redeemer, believing in the Gospel means proclaiming the Gospel, which extends more and more grace to more and more people, which in turn brings more and more glory to God, which brings more and more suffering to us, which is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond anything that we ever could imagine. We have a powerful ministry. We have a difficult ministry. But praise God, we have a rewarding ministry. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to be glory forever. 